It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, a page from the Diary of Flo. Dear Diary, there's something about protecting people's homes through Progressive that inspires me, because I just had an idea for a book. Well, it was originally an idea for a movie based on a play inspired by a podcast. But the idea is how you can save when you bundle home and auto. Hmm, might not be the best idea for a book. Save an average of 17% on car insurance when you bundle home and auto through Progressive. Maybe a radio commercial? Guess we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Joining us today, the legend, Mike Gorman. Let's go. It's time. You want the best Celtics talk around? Here it is. This is the Rain and Jays podcast. Here's John and Jay. All right, we've got a great show coming up. Celtics coming off of the end of their home winning streak. Uh, Tough night, Jay King. Tough night for them. But I am still happy today because uh, we have got a great guest uh, he is the legendary Mike Gorman, part of the <laughs> longest tenured broadcast team in sports. Don't be, don't be modest, Mike. Five-time Emmy winner, New England Basketball Hall of Famer, which I still think Jay is getting screwed out of. Uh, and just, uh, I got to say, I know we've had you on, on RedsArmy.com shows before, and you've been so great to the bloggers all along, but... Uh, you have been part of my sports life for a long time because I'm a I'm from Pawtucket, and you, oh. you're you're a local guy. You started you were in TV at WPRI. I remember watching you do sports at WPRI. Yeah, I used to do the six and eleven sports, and that's where I got a chance because when I got that job, I tell you a funny story about getting that job. I was working at the morning show with Salty Brian, who I'm sure you remember very oh, well. Yeah. Um, and I was doing WPRO radio, and the weekend guy. Uh, his name was Jim Rose, I believe. The weekend guy at Channel 12 left to take a job in Chicago. And I went over and I auditioned for the weekend job. And because they didn't have a lot of auditions, because Jim Rose didn't give him much notice, um, they gave me the weekend job. And literally five days later, the Monday through Friday guy, the guy named Red McCreary, took a job in Orlando and left the next day. So I went from never having done television to seven days a week doing television. Um, <laughs> So that, that was a lucky break for me. But part of the deal at Channel 12 was they had an agreement with Providence College to televise five Providence College games a year. And that was the first chance I got to do basketball on TV. So a couple of guys quit, and that basically yeah. launched your broadcasting career. Without those two guys quitting, who would be broadcasting with Tommy Heinsohn right now? I, I have no idea. It probably wouldn't be me, though. Um, I was, in fact, I was doing URI basketball on WPRO radio. So, um, yeah, if I had never got the chance to do the TV, but by doing the TV, I got to do the Providence College games. By doing the Providence College games, I got to know Dave Gavitt. And through Dave Gavitt, I ended up doing the Big East. Um, and that's what paired me up with, with Tommy. And that's what paired me up with uh, the Celtics. So, yeah, it, it was all a series of dominoes falling right for me. That's amazing. So if you had never done the television, maybe Sean Grandy would have been, been doing TV and you would have been the guy tweeting out all the stats on the radio broadcast. Uh, yes to the first part, no to the second <laughs> so, so, Mike, you're, this is an amazing story for maybe people outside of the Boston market or some of the newer fans who don't know. 
you grew up in Dorchester. You are a lifelong Celtics fan, and you used to was... sneak in to those games. So did you yeah, watch? We, we, used to, we used to take the training all the time when I was in high school, and we'd climb up the fire escape on, on, on the old garden and just get to the, what would be the second balcony and bang on the door. And eventually somebody would come and open up the door and you'd, you'd go in and you'd sit in the, in the second balcony for maybe the first quarter and you could have to find a seat in the first balcony in the second quarter. And by the fourth quarter, you were 15 rows away from the benches um, <laughs> so, because the Celtics, the Celtics did not draw a lot of people in those days. So did you uh, see Tommy yeah, play? I, I, oh, I went to see Tommy play, Coos play, Russell, sure, all of them. So I, used you, to be a member ever... of, I used to be a member of I used to be a member of the Bull Gang, too, when I was in college. The guys who, you know, put the floor down, take the floor up. Um, and that was a great deal at the time because you get to work on days. They used to have double, a lot of more double headers than they do now where the Bruins are playing in the afternoon. The Celtics would play at night. And you'd change the floor over in between. So you'd make, I think you made 35, 40 bucks for the day and got to see a Bruins game and a Celtics game. It was a good gig. Did you ever get caught sneaking into a Celtics game? I used to be ushers who opened the door most of the time. No, no one was trying to catch anybody. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like it is today, where it might be a tough ticket. It was a pretty easy ticket. I can. You guys are. I'm really dating myself now, but we they used to have double headers in the NBA. So you'd have, you'd have like the Pistons play the Sixers at, at six o'clock, and the Celtics play, you know, the Bulls at eight thirty nine. And so you could go to double headers in the garden. It was if you were a basketball junkie, it was a it was a good deal. That's amazing. So you snuck in, you watched Tommy Heinsohn play, you're this this Celtics fan, lifelong Celtics fan, and then you get to broadcast with Tommy Heinsohn. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what that must have been like. What was your first reaction when you start working with the guy you used to bust into the the garden to, to watch him play? How I, do, how uh, do you edit this if I use words? No, use any pass? words you want. Okay. Um, well, I, I'll clean it up a little bit. Uh, I'm, I go to Channel 12, and, and we're doing the getting ready to do the Providence College game, so we don't have a color person. And I say to, at this meeting, I say, why don't we try to get Tom Heinsohn? And, they, and some guy, well, Tom Heinsohn would never want to come to an island to do basketball. At the time, Tommy was doing Celtic away games with Red. And so I said, well, what do we got to lose? So I call the Celtics, asked for Tommy Heinsohn's number. They gave it to me, which probably they would never do today, but they did then. Um, I called Tommy and I said, uh, introduced myself and said, would you be interested in doing color on Providence College? And he said, sure, absolutely. So I said, uh, terrific. So we, we bring him in the first game, remarkably, that we're going to do is Providence College at Holy Cross. So I show up at the game and I've got my, I got my grandy stuff in front of me. Okay. I got notes. I got multicolored charts. I got shooting percentages. I got how many kids are in this guy's family, what their major is, you name it. I got it. So. Tommy comes in and he looks at the, the stuff spread out on the table in front of us, in front of me, and he says, here's where the language you can clear up. He goes, what's that? And I said, uh, that's the stuff we're going to use during the game. And he reaches down and he crumples it up in a ball and throws it to the floor. And he says, we're not going to need that. Uh, and I said, oh, okay. And he looked at me and he said, we're going to talk about what happens in front of us. That's all we're going to talk about. And that, to this day, is how we approach games. Um, I, I have Dick Life, who might be the best stats guy ever, who does sit next to me and feeds me a ton of information. But Tommy and I just really try to talk about what's happening in front of us. We don't try to tell you that 
Paul Pierce is one of seven children of majors and missing college and did this and did that. We figure if you want to find that stuff, you can find that stuff on your own. Um, so yeah, that's to take you back. So I do the game with Tommy. We become friends. Prism pops up in Boston, which was the first in- incarnation of the Celtics on cable. Tommy was the natural guy to do the color and he recommended me and I got that job and the rest is kind of history. We're still doing the same thing. He's still throwing away my notes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of brings us into our next question. He's obviously one of the more colorful color commentators on the NBA circuit. I guess, what was the process of building chemistry with him like? And how, how do you kind of decide when to rein him in a bit? Well, it, it, it's, it's really only over the last maybe 10 years or so that I've started to rein him in. The first 25 or so, I kind of let him go. Um, the, the thing, one of the reasons that Tommy and I have, have gotten along so well is he doesn't really want to do my job and I don't want to do his job. Um, so when, whenever, you know, I, I think a play-by-play guy is just that. He calls play-by-play. He doesn't really get too opinionated about stuff. He doesn't offer theories. He doesn't offer analysis. And <coughs> excuse me, I think a good color guy is a guy who does analysis and does color and doesn't try to do play-by-play. Tommy and I have never really crossed into each other's areas. So that's a, a big part of the reason is that we get along so well. Plus, you know, for me, I mean, it's Tommy Heinsohn. It's, you know, this guy who's got, what, 10 championships, eight, 10 championships to his credit, two as a coach, seven or eight as a player, uh, probably should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame as, as an announcer. Um, you know, I, I, I was pretty fortunate to be sitting beside Tommy Heinsohn and realized that early on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how we developed our relationship, I guess. That's amazing. Now you've seen a lot and, and this is a new time. People look, we're podcasting. People are, are on the internet uh, more than ever in social media. I always say I'm thankful that Larry Bird didn't play in today's age of social media. Uh, how do you think that he, maybe some of these other players that we all love in Boston would have been perceived, uh, based on some of the things you saw him do or say, if it was said in today's social media world? Probably not too well. You know, I, I, I do think, I, not to get political, I think that's part of the reason we don't have very good people running for the presidency of the United States because there's, people are too scrutinized. People are over-scrutinized uh, today. Um, and so you just, when guys are, are approached to run for office, they're just like, no, you know, I might have smoked a joint in college. I might have done this. I might have did that. I don't really want to deal with that in the public eye. So you, you uh, there's an over-scrutinization, if there's such a word, of, of everybody these days by the media. Um, and, yeah, I do think some guys – I'm reading a book on Babe Ruth right now. It's a great read if you guys want to plug a book on here. It's called The Selling of the Babe. It's the deal that changed baseball and created a legend. It's all about Boston giving up on Babe Ruth in the 1900s. But uh, Babe certainly could not have withstood the scrutiny from what I'm reading about Babe and the type of life he led. Um, I liked it better the other way. I liked it better who we didn't know as much about these guys. Uh, all we, we knew, we knew Larry as a basketball player. I didn't really want to care about Larry's political thoughts or what he might have done or not done or what he did with his private life. I only cared about him when he stepped on the court. Uh, I like that a lot better than the way things are today where we know everything about everybody. 
Yeah, and he, is, that I mean, old is that old fashioned? Is that old fashioned? No, it's not old fashioned. I look, I, I, I agree with you, uh, and it's just it's different. I mean, Larry Bird was no saint. He was, and and but that was part mm-hmm. of his appeal. He he got into a bar fight. Uh, you know, he he said some things. He did some things that weren't sure. great. But nowadays, that that kind of adds to his legend. Looking back at it, but if he had done that stuff today, man, that that would be a problem. Yeah, I think it would be. And and again, I, I it's part of the reason I, I kind of approved of Tommy ripping up my notes because I, I didn't really want to be giving you that much information on on stuff. Uh, I want to talk about the game, uh, and that's the same thing with Larry. I I don't care what Larry did with his life. 21 hours a day. I only cared what he did with this life for the three hours he put on a Celtic uniform and was on the court. Yeah. Now, you, you, got guys been... like, you got guys like Jay. You got guys like Jay who just ask all these tough questions all the time. I stand there <laughs> with him in the press conference. <laughs> ask all these stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> you, you've been doing this for, for more than three decades now with the Celtics. Obviously, you spend a lot of time with the players, a lot of time with the teams. Do you have a favorite teams or a couple of teams that stand out uh, among all the group of teams you've covered? Yeah, I, my favorite team is the, is the most recent championship team, without question, because I just because my favorite player, hands down, of all time is Paul Pierce. Um, and it, it was interesting when I came to the Celtics and, and got the job in the 80s. I think they won three championships in the first six seasons. And I'm thinking, oh, this is easy. This is pretty good. Um, <laughs> But then we went, I was doing the, uh, here was basketball junkies were like this. Here, here was my week in the early eighties. Uh, the Celtics used to play on Wednesday and Friday and sometimes Sunday afternoons. That was the majority of the games they played. So <clears throat> I would do on a Sunday afternoon, I'd do the Celtics at the garden. Um, Monday night, I would do a big Monday game for ESPN, usually at the carrier dome, someplace like that with like 50,000 people, Georgetown, Syracuse. Tuesday night, I would do a Big East regional television game. Wednesday night, I'd come back to the Garden and do the Celtics. Thursday night, I'd go do another Big East regional television game. Friday night, I'd come back to the Garden and I'd do the Celtics. I'd stay overnight at that hotel over at Logan Airport, and I would fly out first thing Saturday morning and do a noontime regional game for the Big East, then leave that game at about 3 in the afternoon and drive to another Big East school and do a Big East game on Saturday night, and then come back to the Garden on Sunday if the Celtics were playing and start the week all over again. Um, Jesus. That was <laughs> – I'm sorry? That's incredible. That's just incredible. That, I'm exhausted was, just was, listening to that. Oh, but it was the best because, you know, we, we were in a piece last night. The Celtics in two years there in Boston only lost like three home games. They were 70-something and three. Um, so I'm just doing the home games at the time, and they're winning all the time. So – you know, one of the things I learned early on, if the team wins, people usually think the announcer's pretty good. If the team loses, they think the announcer sucks. Um, so they're winning. And so I'm getting a chance to be involved with the, with the World Championship organization. And then when they go on the road, I'm in Madison Square Garden with 20,000 people watching St. John's and Georgetown go at each other. So uh, you, you didn't get tired. You were anxious to get to the next game because the next game was just better than the last. Uh, I did that for about three or four years, and that was really uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Bill Rafferty gave me the best piece of advice. Jay, you can you can take this piece of advice because you travel with the team a lot. I said to Raff, one of the first games I ever did with Raff, uh, we were at Comanches in Pittsburgh at four o'clock in the morning after doing a, a big Monday game there. Comanches is a 
all night diner bar in the last round in Pittsburgh that we used to hang out in. And um, seven o'clock the next morning, we're on a plane somewhere trying to get to the next game. And, and I look at Raph and I say, I say, Raph, how do you do this? I'm just like, I'm beat already. It's Tuesday. Um, and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, it's easy, Mike. You treat the whole basketball season as one long day with a series of naps. And that's really what, <laughs> right, Jay? That's what it is, yeah. right? <laughs> that's like, exactly. It's one long day with a series of naps. Uh, <laughs> you, grab sleep, you grab sleep when and where you can. Um, I, when I traveled with Ralph, he was a character. We would, we would get in the cab, and uh, before the cab got to the airport, he was asleep. I would have to wake him up in the cab. Then he would get on a plane. He'd be asleep before takeoff. Uh, and then after that game that night, it's like 1130 at night in the Syracuse, we're in some God awful bar, uh, <laughs> ready to go again, ready to catch two hours of sleep and catch another plane and go somewhere else. That's incredible. Now, now you start, you started on Paul, Paul Pierce being your, your favorite player of all time by far. Oh yeah. Sorry. And the team. So, so, uh, so what, what kind of made him that way on that team? What was so special about that team? Well, I, I think for, for me, Jay, it was, you know, when we did the, when I joined the team in the eighties, I just, <clears throat> I just did the home games. And so, you know, I would walk into the garden and walk to the old press room in the garden. I'd meet uh, Tommy and Johnny most. And the three of us used to have dinner all the time. And Johnny was wonderful to me from, from day one, coached me, tried to help me get better. Never once was jealous of what I was doing. Um, and then Tommy and I would go sit in Red's office for about 20 minutes and Red would just tell us what was going to happen that night in the game. And then we'd go up to the overhang, do the game. And I'd walk out and get to the garage, get my car and go home. So I'd go weeks, months sometimes without ever going near the locker room. So because I didn't travel with those guys, I never really knew those guys that well. I didn't know. I know Danny so much better now than I ever knew Danny when I covered him as a player. Um, Larry, I just really knew to say hello to. We really had no relationship. Same thing with Chief, same thing with the late Dennis Johnson. So when I started traveling with the team about 15 years ago, I think it's about 15 years ago now, um, it was much different. You develop a much different relationship. You, you're with the guys on planes, you're landing in snowstorms in the middle of the night in crazy cities. Um, you, you just get to know guys better. So uh, I knew got to know Paul Pierce from the time he showed up in Boston and just had the pleasure of doing Paul's whole career um, and travel with him, got to know him, got to know his family, uh, just a much more personal relationship than any of the relationships I had with the guys in the eighties. Um, so that's, that's why I like that team. Uh, Ray Allen, I started, met Ray when he was a freshman at UConn. So I had known him forever. Um, so that, that team was, and Doc was such a joy to deal with, uh, just a lot of good things to say about that team, but Kevin might have been, might not have been the easiest guy in the world to to deal with, but certainly was guys on the team will tell you there's no greater teammate than Kevin Garnett, and um, you know he was a warrior for the Celtics from the time he was here. So that 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 would be my favorite team, and, and Paul would be my favorite guy. Um, okay, so I Kevin Garnett, since you brought him up, and since you traveled yeah. with the team. There's got uh-huh. to be a, there's got to be a story that we haven't heard that you can tell in some form. And remember, this is a podcast. You can use whatever language you want. Yeah. No. Um, Come on, Mike. 
<laughs> I, now, I, I, you know, I, I don't really have that many stories. The, the thing that always struck me about Kevin is Kevin managed everything. Kevin, Kevin told you where you sat on the plane. You know, in fact, he told you when you could eat and when you couldn't. He just kind of micromanaged the entire, uh, the entire plane. Nobody did. You know, Kevin got his massages at the end of the game. Be every, if there were 35 people in that traveling party, 34 people were on the plane sitting, waiting. Kevin, and two more people were coming, Vladdy and Kevin, because Kevin was getting his massage at the end of the game. Um, it was Kevin's world. We kind of all lived in it because we knew what the result could possibly be. And it turned out to be what we all wanted, which was a championship. Um, but, but Kevin's a very, he, he's one of the more interesting characters I've ever met, um, in the game in terms of he could be, and you know, this Jay very well, he could be really tough and be really surly, or he could give you some of the most intelligent answers to questions you'd ever get out of an athlete, just depending upon the mood he was in. Yeah, he, he was. He was a fascinating. I don't have guy. any good. Yeah, I don't have any good, really good war stories of, of of Kevin, other than the fact that you just you gave him his space, and uh, you know, it, it used to be this thing. I it, it started. Uh, it's this started with Paul Pierce, which is kind of funny. And Paul will not mind me telling this story. Um, the reason I kind of fist bump and, and, and the players before the game all started with Paul Pierce because Paul Pierce came up to me about seven or eight years ago easily that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, and said, hey, would you mind doing me a favor? And I said, sure. He said, before every game, when I come up to the layup lines, I'll come up and I'll give you a hug. And when, you, when I give you a hug, you tell me the names of the officials. So I can turn around and say, hey, Jay, hey, John, how you doing? What's happening? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So, um, uh, okay, um, so Kevin, I mean, excuse me, Paul would come up, you know, every time, give me a little hug, I'd, you know, tell him it was, you know, John, Eli, Jack tonight or whatever, Jack's the white guy, uh, whatever it was. Um, and Paul would then go chart off. But the other players were all kind of see this. And the next thing you know, Ray would come by and give me a little pat. Next thing you know, somebody else came by and Rondo came by and he gave me a little pat. And the next thing it turns into this whole routine with everybody, which was solely based on Paul. Well, flash forward to Paul coming back into the garden with the Clippers there a couple of weeks ago, Jay. And he comes out to the layup line and standing on the court. He starts to go through the layup line. And he looks up and he sees me. And he keeps coming towards me with this big smile, wraps me up in this big hug, and he goes, who we got tonight? <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's funny because yeah. the, the fist bump ritual was, was one of our questions for you. We, we want to know how that, how that started. So it's, it's perfect yeah, that it, you went it, into that. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's, it, it started with, with Paul. Uh, Wanting to get the edge with the officials. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Maybe Marcus should, should ask the same thing. Maybe Marcus should. I may have to talk to Marcus about that. Yeah. He, he needs to do a little more schmoozing. He does. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, you once told me a, an interesting story about what Rajon Rondo came up to and did before his last game with the Celtics. Would you want to share that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he did. Rajon and I had an interesting relationship because um, I, I always felt he was misunderstood. Uh, I, I, I know it, I know he can be terribly arrogant. I'm not sure that arrogance isn't really a manifestation of a basic shyness, which I always kind of thought it was. Um, but uh, yeah, at the Sacramento game in, um, in, in Mexico city, he came up and gave me a big hug and uh, was as physical as, as he's ever been. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. I, forgive me, I don't remember the specific story that I might have related to you about being with John, other than the fact that he uh, he was another guy. That whole team, you know, Ray was a certain type of personality. Paul was a certain type of personality. Kevin we talked about. Rondo was different. Um, that you know, we look at the guys on the team today, and, and I see them all as pretty much trying to have a common goal, and they're all pretty much the same. Um, that team was a, that won the championship was a really a collection of, of different types of personalities that probably would have crashed and burned if it didn't have the super dominant alpha male and, and Kevin Garnett to kind of run the whole thing. Um, and, and, and Jay, as you know really well, Kevin was a huge influence on Rondo, huge influence. Yeah, it was funny because he he started off trying to kind of mimic Ray and and Ray's whole routine, and then he kind of gravitated more toward Kevin. I think as as the years went on. Yes, without question. And 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 it's Kevin like now, from what I understand, in Sacramento. What would we all do without Sacramento to have them to talk about? They're unbelievable. <laughs> they are. <laughs> They are the eternal grease fire of the NBA. It's like the Springfield Tire Fire. I, I like that. Grease fire. That's good. <laughs> um, okay, so b- before we, we get into some of the current stuff that's going on, you've shared a lot of moments. Can you pick, actually, a single favorite moment up until this point? Favorite moment? Um Yeah, well, yeah, sure. Uh, winning the championship, you know, back four years ago, five years ago, however long it is, um, that was that was huge. That was I didn't I didn't think I was going to get a chance to get a run like that again. You know, again, they won three in the first six years that I was doing this, and I thought, oh, this is easy, and then all of a sudden we go about twenty five years without doing much at all. So, uh, getting a chance to be with that team and uh, and and win a title. Uh, that that will always be my best memory of of, of the job that I'm doing. I I think I have a personal memory, which is uh, my my wife at the time was not my wife was was studying in Europe on a scholarship and had been gone for uh, about ten months and was coming back to the United States on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and I was supposed to pick her up at the airport and the Celtics went to overtime uh, with Portland uh, and I didn't show up at the airport. Uh, Fortunately, we were able to straighten things out afterwards, and uh, we ended up getting married. Never married for 29 years, <laughs> but um, that was—I I can remember uh, somebody hit a shot to send the game to overtime. I'm sitting in the overhang, in the overhang. I'm going like, "Jeez, I'm screwed here," you know. And <laughs> she comes, she comes walking off the plane, and there's like nobody at the airport. And, uh, you know, so I, I remember that it was a game against Portland. Larry Bird eventually hit a shot from the corner to win the game in overtime. Um, and, uh, I remember just, I remember just saying to Tommy, like, you got the post game show. I'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> a problem that could have been solved with texting. If that was around. See, exactly. Then. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. here we are today. Uh, this is, uh, so far been a really fun Celtic season. Uh, we, you've seen yet another turnover in, in this team over the past few years, Brad Stevens has been here now for a few seasons. You've seen a bunch of coaches come through town. How does Brad Stevens compare to the, the, the group that you've seen? Best I've been around. The best? The best. 
unquestionably, unquestionably in my mind. Wow, what makes um, him? What makes him so much better? What makes him the best? Um, his X and O knowledge combined with his knowledge of how to manage people, how to manage expectations, how to bring out the best in individuals. Um, just the whole way he carries himself um, to to be the subject of, of uh, I don't know if envious is the word, but to have the great Popoviches of the world say, yeah, I watch this guy's games. I, I watch to see what he's going to do. Uh, to watch what teams uh, do. One of, one of the Shawshank players who, for the benefit of the story, I'll, I'll leave nameless, told me about in, in the first year, uh, there was a timeout and uh, Brad drew up a play and they're walking out of the huddle and these two guys looked at each other and I go, that's a high school play, man. That's not going to work. And they ran it and it worked. About two weeks later, same thing, another play. They look at each other again. We go, I can't believe this guy keeps throwing up these high school plays. And it worked. Um, and now the same player tells me, we just don't question anything anymore. We just do what we're told. Um, because they believe in him. And, and um, yeah, I, I can't yet put it really into, into words well, but I just, I just have a feeling we're watching something special and watching him coach. Um, I, I think we're going to, 10, 15 years from now, we're going to realize that uh, this was a very special time. We put up a graphic last night. Um, I wish I could get the actual numbers, but basically it took him like 110 games, 120 games to win his first 50 games. Then it took him like 90 games uh, to win his second 50 games. And now he's like 29 and nine and going for his third group of 50 games. And, and the, the amount of games taken uh, to, to get to where he, to totally want it gets smaller and smaller every uh, sample that you take. And, uh, you know, watching Jay, you know, this, you're there every night um, watching what he did last year after the all-star break, once he got a roster that he could deal with uh, that he knew wasn't going to change how well they played over the last 30 something games, um, how well they played throughout this year. I mean, you know, people would have thought you were drinking the Kool-Aid if you were going to say they were going to be what 13, 12, 15 games over 500 with the 15 and 20 games left in the season, third place in the East, um, top of the league and in, in, near the top of the league in scoring, defend, play hard, uh, kind of interchangeable parts, have a legitimate all-star in Isaiah. But after that, really, it's a lot of guys that, you know, were considered to be top of the line NBA players and now all of a sudden are now. Again, Jay, you know well with the Jordan Crawfords of the world who, you know, had a cup of coffee here who, when they were left in their exit interviews, just said they're a much better basketball player today than they were before they met him. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big fan. I, I just think he's, I think he's special. And I think he's going to show us all that in the, in the years to come. So that's Ed. I, that's Ed. Doc's one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how good can, can these Celtics be this year and, you know, in the coming years? I think, I think this year, I, you know, I, I got a lot of grief for this with Felger and a few of the other people that I deal with. Um, I didn't want to see them make a trade. I wanted, I wanted this team to be given a chance to go as far as they could because I thought they deserved it. I thought they'd worked hard to get to this spot. Um, now I think it's critical uh, as much as Damari Carroll is going to help Toronto get even better when he comes back, um, 
I think it's critical to hold on to the three spot and be able to avoid Cleveland until potentially the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think if the Celtics can hold on to the three spot, um, I think they get through the first round of the playoffs, and I think you have a heck of a series with Toronto, and I would like their chances against Toronto. Um, and then who knows what happens if you get into the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think getting through one round and getting through two rounds is a real reasonable expectation of this team right now. And so, what about you, Jay? That too, is that too lofty? No, no, I, 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 think, I think that's the case. I, I do think, you know, their talent level right now, I think, is pretty similar to a lot of teams in the East. And I think that once they get to the playoffs, Stevens is a huge advantage against a lot of the coaches in the East. I, I think, you know, no matter who it is, whether it's Cleveland or Toronto or pretty much up and down, um, there are a few coaches like, like Mike Buttonholzer who I really respect. But I, I think Stevens is, is a real difference maker in a lot of those series. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Scal, Scal really believes that talent will ultimately win out and, and dominate. Um, I, I think Cleveland has the chance to, to implode. Um, everything I saw in, in the last game I was there, and uh, I, just, I think they have a chance to implode. Scout says I'm crazy. We'll see what happens in the, in the playoffs. He says LeBron will just have a team meeting, get everybody on the same page, and they'll waltz to the NBA Finals. Uh, I don't I think, think it's going to be that easy. I think they would really have to implode, though, to lose to the Celtics because they are so talented. Uh, oh, without now, question. Now, I, yeah. If they're, if they're a happy bunch, uh, you know, the Celtics don't have a really good shot, to say the least, against them. Um, but, again, I don't know whether – uh, you know, I, I think the gutsy move to hire Teron Liu is a gutsy move on Teron's part to take the job um, because there's very little yeah, – the bar is really high there. I mean, they have to get to the NBA Finals and be in a very competitive final with Golden State or, whoever, or San Antonio, whoever it turns out to be, for them to be judged a success this season. Anything short of that will be – might cost Toronto's job. Well, you know, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm probably a little more on Scal's side on this just because I think that the, Cleveland has the ability to defend Isaiah Thomas better than most teams. They've got the size. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, I think, interestingly enough, I think that Channing Frye is going to be a difference maker for them because he can do some of the things that they can feasibly bench Kevin Love and have Channing Frye do the, the, the simpler job that they, they probably wanted Kevin Love to do, which is just be a stretch four. Uh, right. so I, I think that, uh, and I agree with the LeBron going into kind of a, a takeover mode in the playoffs. I think he's kind of coasted a little bit, but it'll be interesting. I, I hope that we have a chance to see this play out. And obviously I hope that I'm wrong on that, but it, it'll well, be Celtics, really interesting. The Celtics, the Celtics do have one secret weapon though. J.R. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, he they is. do. He can, he can, he can shoot you right out of the game or two. Yeah, uh, yeah, we love J.R. Smith. Uh, he's he's always, he yeah, he can win you a game. He can lose you a game or more. That's right. Uh, he, can, so, he can come up with a knuckle. He can come up with a knucklehead foul at a big time. He he's always kind of right there when you need him. <laughs> uh, so, do you think that within this this rebuilding cycle that the Celtics can end up winning a title? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think you know. I mean. <clears throat> 
uh, LeBron's 13 years in the league now. Um, if you're talking about you know, over two or three, two or three year time horizon here, um, LeBron is gonna, no longer going to be the LeBron that we have all watched play for the last 13 to 15 years. Uh, even now, he's bringing a lot of his game. He's become much more, and that game we had in Cleveland the other night with him, he was much more a facilitator than a dominator. And um, I think that's a path that's going to continue. So uh, Toronto's a very good young team, but as Jay said, you know, you can really throw a blanket with the exception of the Cavaliers and maybe Kyle Lowry over the talent in, in the East, and it's all pretty much the same. And uh, I agree with Jay that the Celtics have a, a tremendous advantage in Coach Stevens. So, uh, yeah, I, I see no reason why they can't contend uh, for an Eastern Conference title in the next couple of years. Uh, what's going on in Golden State is, is one, I think, is kind of a once-in-a-basketball generation. Uh, this, this is very special what that team is doing in Curry is a very, he's a generational player uh, in my mind. Uh, and so they, they, they could be dominant like no other franchise has been dominant for a while. I could see Golden State winning three or four championships if they keep everybody together and having 65 win regular seasons. I mean, they just, they just have it going. They seem to be doing it relatively effortlessly. And if, uh, you know, Thompson's willing to stay put and Curry's willing to stay put, and Green's willing to stay put, um, they got good coaching, and and again, he Curry is a special player. He's a, I don't know how you you guys feel about him, but I just think he's a once in a lifetime guy. Oh yeah, he's amazing. I saw a stat today. Um, what is it? The quickest to I forget how many made threes it was, but he mm-hmm. did it. He, whatever that whatever that milestone was, he did it mm-hmm. in like 150 games fewer than Ray Allen. Which goes to yeah. show you what today's game is like. That he's ta- he takes ten threes a game. Yeah, and he ta- and he just coaches always talk about stretching the floor. I mean, he stretches the floor to ridiculous degrees. Um, I saw some graphic the other day about shots taken thirty feet and beyond, uh, and he's shooting like forty eight percent from that area. That's uh, insane. And he doesn't he he shoots the ball. That's the thing that. that that amazes me. I mean, he, these aren't heaves he throws up. These are jump shots he throws up from 30 feet out, 35 feet out. Um, he just is a remarkable, remarkable player. And I don't think gets the credit for, I, I, I don't know who Chris Paul comes to mind. I guess Westbrook comes to mind, although Westbrook's is more a power game. Um, but in terms of a handle, in terms of a skill with the dribble, who's better than Curry? I, I, I can't think of anybody around the league. No, he's he's amazing and, and and an underrated passer. I saw a play the other day where he he ran a pick and roll on the left wing with Draymond Green, and both guys followed him. And by the time he reached the baseline, I'm like, why isn't he kicking it back to Draymond there? He's wide open for three. He dribbled underneath the baseline, back up the other side of the lane, and then threw this like hook pass, this like hook shot pass, hit Draymond right in the hands. He he took the entire defense not just away from Draymond, all the way down to the other block and gave Draymond mm-hmm. like five seconds to sh- – that's a, insane that – I mean, he's, he's as good a passer as you're going to find short of like – I mean, Rondo still makes spectacular passes and Paul makes spectacular passes, but like Curry is, is right there. So, uh, I mean, it's amazing. He's, he's really uh, an amazing uh, player. So, 
Yeah, I'm with you again. Barring barring injuries, uh, I, I just don't see them losing. I, I, they could uh, they could do one of those old Moses Malone fold fold fold. They could just, <laughs> they could just roll right through the playoffs. What's What's really amazing to me to, to is that the San Antonio Spurs are having one of the best seasons in NBA history, and no one is talking about it. They're having mm-hmm. an amazing season, and because Golden State is doing what they're doing, they're completely overshadowing a second historic season. San Antonio's also undefeated at home, and how many people are talking about that at all? No, nobody. Nobody. You're right. And it might be even more amazing what San Antonio is doing because Golden State has a much higher talent level of player. I mean, after you get by Kawhi Leonard, it, it's really popped doing just a, another one of his – ridiculously good coaching jobs and mixing and matching people. Um, but the gold golden state has a huge talent. Edge, I, I feel over San Antonio. All right. A couple more things as we've kept you on for a while. Um, no, it's just, this is fun. It's a good way to spend a Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, you've obviously been doing this for a while. I mean, at some point <laughs> you, are you thinking that, you know, I mean, we we looking at a retirement to a nice tropical location. If you get one more duck boat ride, do you think about going out on top? Uh, I would seriously, yeah, I would. Um, I want another duck boat ride, though. You're right, uh, I, and I want I want to see how this Brad Stevens story turns out, and if I could be a small part of it as a narrator of it, I'd like to volunteer for that job. Um, you know, the, the thing is, people have asked me before, like, hey, you've been doing this for 35 years. Don't you want to quit? And I want to go, why, why would I want to quit? I drive to the garden. I, I see guys like Jay. Like, we, we hang out a little bit. We talk. We make jokes. We listen to Brad do his press conference. We all go and we sit down. We watch a basketball game. Then we go home, and we call it work. Are you kidding? You know, it sounds why, pretty good. People, really, people who are retired want to do what I do. You know, so um, I... I, I don't want to go anywhere for a while. Um, I hope Tommy can hang in there for an extended period of time. I really enjoy working with Scal. Uh, it's it's like a, it, as much as I love my relationship and I love my relationship with Tommy, um, it, it gives me something fresh at this point in my career working with Scal, which is really kind of fun. Um, and again, watching being around Brad uh, and watching what he's doing and watching how his team is developing. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to go anywhere for the foreseeable future. Tell Sean that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting in the wings. Um, what's it? What's it like on a duck boat ride for a championship parade? It was. I tell you, for a kid from Dorchester, it was pretty cool. Um, it was just really, really cool. Um, I was uh, in the duck boat with uh, Tommy Havlicek, uh Coos was in it. Um, Jeez. Maxwell. I was just kind of thrown in with, with the legends, which was kind of flattering. Um, but yeah, I mean, to see that those just the masses of people that have people chanting your name as you go by um, and everybody just sharing in this thing. It was just a remarkable experience. Remarkable. I, you, uh, I, I just I never, picture I, this. I, I had been in a 4th of July parade in Bristol, Connecticut once before. And I thought that was a big deal. I actually rode, rode with Neil Sedaka on a float. Not many people can say that. <laughs> uh, but 
the Ducks will beat the heck out of that. Yeah. I mean, just being the local kid. I mean, were you? I know I, I can only speak for myself, but I know a lot of people think like I don't. I always go back to my childhood. Like I, I, I in my mind, I'm still that that kid, that teenager mm-hmm. for so much mm-hmm. of my life. So you had to be, you know, Mike from Dorchester at that point, right? You, you're you're in the the duck boat with with Havlicek, you, Koozie. That's I mean, right. I, know. I mean, you look around like do you yeah, sit there right. and pinch yourself like, holy, sh-t, look at what yes, I'm exactly. doing here. <laughs> Yeah, there's no question about that. No question about that. The same, you know, again, I can, I can, I can recall banging on the door on a cold night, trying to get into the garden um, to a fire escape. Uh, yes. So yeah, I'm the same guy. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little, quick little personal story. Um, I only saw my mom, who, who has, has long since passed away, but I only saw my mom cry once in in, in her life, and. Um, it was on her 80th birthday, and, and, and she was sitting there, and tears were going down her cheek. And I said, why, why are you crying? And, and she looked at me, and she said, because I'm old. And I realized it was the very first time in her life that she ever thought of herself as old. Um, and so when you asked me, like, do I want to retire? I'm, I want to say, like, I'm not old enough to retire. <laughs> uh, I, I, still got, I still got a ways to go before that becomes any kind of a an issue in my mind. Okay. I just, uh, I, I still think of myself, you're right. I still think of myself as the guy who grew up in St. Brendan's parish and, uh, played basketball at the two league park down at Galvin Boulevard and, uh, idolized the Celtics. I can remember I used to sell the record American, uh, in the Ponset circle at the traffic light. And, uh, I remember on, on days that the, the Celtics played, I used to sit there and I wouldn't be selling guys would be honking the horn, wanting a paper. And I'm sitting there reading the Celtics stories, uh, in the record, uh, which record doesn't exist anymore, which I'm dating myself. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I still think of myself as the same kid from Dorchester who is kind of very fortunate to be part of this whole thing. So, so Mike, for, for me, my, my first time covering a game at, at the garden, I thought I was going to be so starstruck. You know, meeting Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. And I mm-hmm. walked in and I walked by right by Kevin McHale. He was I think he was doing the game for maybe TNT. Uh, so I walked yeah, by sure. him. He was yeah. li- literally the first person I walked by. I get in. I'm like, all right. Like, that was really cool. But I wasn't starstruck. I get in the media room and I, I, I go through, through all the interviews, talk to all the guys. Don't get, don't get starstruck. I go back in the, the media room afterward. I meet Bob Ryan and I, I like start shaking like, yeah. Oh my God, mm-hmm. Bob Ryan. What a legend later on. Mm-hmm. I don't think I met you that night. I, I met you later on and I talked and I called my father afterward. I was like, I just talked to Mike Gorman, dad. Like, this was awesome. Honestly, one of my first, <laughs> me- one of my very first memories is sitting in my parents' room. They were having like some party and, and they had a few people over, and they they just shoved me in their room. I'm watching you and Tommy announce Xavier McDaniel's Celtics team. So this must wow. have been I don't know when. I didn't but think I didn't think you were that old, Jake. <laughs> literally one of one of the, or maybe maybe he was for Seattle. I just remember you calling him the X Man, and I I literally don't have. It's like one of my f- very first memories. Um, but was there a moment for you? <laughs> That, that you met someone and maybe it wasn't 
a guy you expected to be starstruck about, but where you were like, wow, I, I just met one of my heroes, and that was really cool yeah. for me. Yeah, not so much a hero, but yeah, but definitely starstruck. I was starstruck the first time I met Johnny Most because um, I was afraid. I didn't know how he was going to be, um, and uh, you know, and, and instead he turned out to be just as helpful. Tried to be my mentor. Was the one who who told me like two games into meeting him, he said, "Okay, you know, you can't steal my lines." Johnny used to say, "Bang!" after a basket. He said, "You got to come up with something." Um, so I tried to come up with a bunch of expressions, one of which was got it. Uh, and, and John told me, he said, go ahead, use that. That's good. Make that your trademark. Um, he was really, really, really very helpful to me, but I was starstruck when I first met him and I was starstruck for a long time, um, by Red. I, I was very intimidated in Red, Red's presence. I was always afraid to, to say a word. Um, <clears throat> I was probably about six or seven years into this job. And I was never really sure what uh, what Red thought of me. And I was seated uh, somewhere in in the, the old garden in a room with Tommy. And I heard the presence of somebody come in behind me. And somebody came up behind me and just put their hands on my shoulders and just kind of rested their hands on there. And I looked up and it was Red. And I knew like, oh wow, I just I can I felt like I had just been baptized. Uh, I just just got the approval of Red. I told people that story for for. Weeks afterwards, they said, Red actually touched me. They're like, what? What are you saying? I said, no. <laughs> you got to understand. It's a big deal to someone like me. <laughs> that is, that is. I mean, God, as a, as a Celtics fan growing up, that that just imagining that happening, I'm getting like this like tingle. Uh, you you got to have you got to have a good Red story. Well, my best red story is uh, we were doing. I, uh, I should get uh, Comcast to dig this out and replay it because it was really wonderful. Red allowed me to come into his home down in Washington and spend. Uh, actually, Jay, you ever hear of those uh, famous lunches Red used to have? Yeah, um, the Chinese, yeah, at the Chinese and, restaurant. Right, exactly. I got invited to one of those, and it was it was just it was everybody from like politicians to basketball people to the guy, the cab driver who drove Red over that morning was invited in to, to sit in on the lunch. Um, people from all walks of life would go through those lunches. And <coughs> excuse me, Red invited me to one. Um, I hung out at the lunch, and at the end of the lunch, we had scheduled to go back to Red's apartment, and I was going to sit and do an interview with Red, and it was scheduled to last for a half hour. It lasted for almost four. Um, Red took Red's apartment was like, all I can think of, do you remember the old Pink Panther movies with Peter Sellers? And, and he used to have all these pictures behind Inspector Clouseau's desk of Inspector Clouseau with everybody and anything. That's how Red's apartment was. There was, there was no room for anything on the walls. It was just pictures of Red with the, you know, Khrushchev. Like, it was just crazy. It was Red with... um, and Red took me through the whole apartment. He had a story about every picture. We had a mic. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, and, and um, two, one of the, you say, the lasting memories I'll have is doing the Celtics, spending three, four hours one-on-one -on -one with Red in his surroundings with his uh, daughter bringing us coffee or tea or whatever we wanted was a remarkable experience, really remarkable. He, he, was a, he was a really nice man. For all the crazy stories about Red, my association with him, he was just, I would describe him as just a really nice man. Once, wow. you, got over, once you got over the initial scare... 
Yes. Oh, the init- <laughs> yeah, right. It took a while. It took a while. And, and until such, and he really did. I mean, I, after that, it really, that incident where he came in and put his hands on my shoulders and, and um, I, I realized, okay, I can, I can, I can exhale now in his presence. Uh, I'm not going to suddenly try to dominate the conversation or anything like that, but I, I can relax a little bit and enjoy it. Um, and it, it, it was so cool in, in those first days because I, every game, Tommy would, same thing, go to the press room, sit down with John. Tommy would show up, have something to eat. He'd go, come on, let's go see Red. We'd come downstairs, we'd go into Red's office. Red would be sitting behind his desk. We'd sit in front of him like two school kids. He would tell us anything. Tell a story, tell us what he thought was going to happen in that game tonight, blah, blah, blah. We'd, we'd pay out 10 minutes of respect, turn around, would leave, go out, do the game. It was just such a great routine. Uh, again, for a kid from Dorchester to suddenly be a part of all this was really pretty cool. Amazing. Um, okay, before we go, one last thing. This is a really cool thing. So, for those who don't know, you are uh, a Navy veteran. And I am. There's, there's a cool story about someone asking you to swear them in. Can you yeah. share that? I, I, yeah, I got a, right out of the blue, I got this uh, text message. Uh, not a text message, he tweeted me, actually. <laughs> and I um, identified himself and said, would you, would you mind getting in touch with me? I'm a Navy chief. I've served in the Navy for 20 years. Um, I'm about to re-up for four more years. And uh, I would like for you to swear me in. Um, and I started, immediately texted him back and I said, I'd be flattered. Uh, we exchanged a couple of, uh, uh, times that we could, that fit for everybody. And last night at about five o'clock at Senate court, uh, Eric Kamali and his uh, wife and his two kids, uh, and Lieutenant Gorman, uh, I swore him in for four more years in the United States Navy. He's a submariner. Uh, first basketball game he had been to was last night. Uh, two ever couldn't have won for him, but, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a very, very cool experience for me. I, I spent almost seven years in the Navy after I got out of college, but, but that was a long, long time ago, and I haven't thought of myself as a, a naval officer uh, in a long, long time. So that was a treat for me last night, especially with a submariner, because I used to fly in a VP squadron, which was we chased submarines around uh, the Mediterranean for seven years when I was in. Um, and, uh, he was on his way to the Mediterranean uh, to, to uh, deploy on a submarine. So uh, there was a nice synergy there to the whole thing. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. I, I felt uh, I was kind of beaming last night. I think I told that story to Jay last night. He was a willing listener. I appreciate that, Jay. Yeah, well, uh, man, uh, we could do this forever, but we're, we, we're going to let you go. Right. Lieutenant um, Gorman. Lieutenant thank you, thank Gorman. Thank you very much for coming on the show, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, My pleasure, guys. Any, it's anytime. I truly amazing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm struggling for the words because this was such an amazing hour. So thank you very much, uh, and, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, guys. Take care. See you at the garden. Okay, that was pretty awesome. That was incredible. I mean, that was we. I've talked to Mike before. Mike's like one of the nicest guys. He when I go to a game. I, I walk up to him, and say, hey, John, he shakes my hand, love what you guys are doing. Like, he's legitimately one of the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah, and, and that was one of the biggest thrills for me was, was meeting him and realizing he's just what you expect he would be when you're listening to him as a kid and, and listening to him call games. And he's just like you would expect him to be, which is awesome. 
Yeah, it's I'm I having gone through that that hour conversation, uh, trying to focus a little bit more on his background and some of the things that he's seen and done. I I'm just taken aback. Just like you know, you and I are, are very in, in very similar situations. Is, is he? We're both New Englanders. Grew up loving basketball, loving the Celtics, and and to Mike's path is like the dream path. That is, if I could live his exact life, I mean, I don't know, like you don't know, but like if I could have that exact path, my God, knowing Red, meeting Red, riding on a duck boat with Havlicek and Kuzi, are you kidding me? That is like the most amazing story and and he's still going and you know obviously we ask about the retirement thing i'm in no hurry to have him go away i love listening to him call games. go nowhere mike yeah i mean i don't want the next duck boat ride to be the last one i i hope that he can stick around and like i hope there are a few more duck boat rides for him to take because um i definitely want him to stick around uh, this has been like an hour-long show. I, I don't know if we want to ruin it with any other Celtics talk. I think this would be a good place to go, right? I mean, this is yeah, this, is, this that, has been great. We're not getting better than than Lieutenant Gorman. There's no. there's no way anything we will say would be better than Lieutenant Gorman. No, that, so that's he's the it. peak. We're not gonna we're not stupid enough to try and top Mike Gorman. So that's where we'll leave it. Uh, and we'll have plenty to talk about in the next show. So we'll see you next week on the Rain and Jays podcast. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.